0: On your knees, on your knees, for the king, the king of kings, there is only one. (laughs) Nothing like a little motorhead to set your Sunday straight, right? So, uh, those of you who clapped first, you can't answer this question, all right? This is for the rest of the pack here, but uh, you know who that is? Who you just watched? We got a Triple H over here? All right, that's technically true, but not really. It's actually the Messiah. Um, (laughs) What you just saw is messianic hope, okay? Now, last Sunday, we started this thing called Weird Songs, Strange Prayers, and here's what it's about all year long we're going through this, 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 this focus in the Bible called soul speak. And, and soul speak is about tapping our soul language by looking at the heart and soul language of people that we see in the Bible, people close to God, people far from God, people in love with God, people fighting with God, and looking at the ways that they express that just inner gut-wrenching emotion, whatever it might be to him. And the idea is that by looking at their language, their prayers, their, 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 their ways of, of communicating, maybe, just maybe, it can tap our souls as well. Now, in the Bible, and it's the longest book, is this book called the Psalms. It's Jesus' prayer book. But it's actually something he would have sang. So it's better to say it's his songbook. But these songs are, are prayers. And I think what we're going to discover is they are weird. And I'm going to submit to you that what you just saw there is the best portrayal of Psalm 2 that you can come across. All right. Here's what I want you to do with me, guys. I want you to pull out a Bible because I want you to look at this for yourself. You can find them under the chair racks. And if you don't know where Psalms is, I mean, really, this is kind of like your best bet. Open to the middle. It is so honking big, you'll probably find it with a little flipping. Psalm 2. Before we read Psalm 2, though, I want to make this point again, that what you just saw is messianic hope, and I hope that by the end of today, you hear and see and understand this word, Messiah, differently. All right, unpack the song with me. Imagery, feel, emotion, what are some of the things that you saw? What are some of the things that that were seen? Just, Just shout it out we got we got sledgehammers, right? What's the symbol? we got big hammers, right? Big metal iron hammers. This isn't some olive branch that's being held out. He's coming after you with a sledge. What else? Slamming down, Slamming down right? Do you want to get into the ring with that guy, right? Get into that ring with that guy, and you are laid waste. And what's that guy's attitude? Bring it on, right? Do you see him quivering in fear? No, bring it on. He even, did you catch it? Did you see even the times he was laughing? He smirked, he's scoffing. It's like, you think you're going to stand in this ring with me, right? And what's the refrain over and over and over again? Bow down, bow down, bow down to the king. Right? The king is here. There can be only one on your knees, dog. Right? Welcome to Psalm 2. Read it with me. (laughs) Forgive me, I need to unpack some things as we go. But as we begin Psalm 2, I want you to get the dichotomy in your mind. Israel and everyone else. Israel and everyone else who often goes by the term the nations. Why do the nations conspire? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together in the biggest battle royale that history will witness against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now, you see that word anointed one there? I want you to mentally underline it or circle it. I want you to tattoo that in your brain because the word anointed one that you see there in Hebrew is pronounced like this. Hear it. Mashiach. Okay, you hear it? What does that sound like in English? So let's read it that way. The kings of the earth take their stand against, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his Messiah, we hear Messiah, we think like Jesus' middle name or something, don't we? Jesus, Messiah, Christ, or something like that? But Messiah isn't a name. Messiah is a title. And all the title means is, well, anointed one. That's why they translated anointed one. And what does that mean to be an anointed one? Well, it's someone who's chosen, who's picked, and then the way they would do it is take this like fragrant oil, and dump it all over their head. Imagine that in a day before shampoo, right? And dump it all over their head. And by this rite, or by this ceremony, they were coronated, designated, set aside. And predominantly, above all others, this was done to kings. Which means, when you hear the word Messiah... Or see the translation, anointed one? Where you should translate to in your mind, especially in Psalm 2, is king. The Messiah is the king. So let's read it that way. Why do they take their stands? Why do they plot in vain? The kings gather together against the Lord and against his king. Right? Right? Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. And the one enthroned in heaven's laughs. What do you do when you're in the ring all by yourself and everyone else comes in the ring against you? You ever been in a fight? Have you ever been in a fight? where it was two-on-one and you weren't in the two. Three-on-one. Ten-on-one. What do you do when you're a cop and you get a call and you got to go into gangland? What do you do when you're a soldier and you're outnumbered 20-to-one and they say, take the hill? What do you do when you stand alone and everyone is gathered against you. Let me tell you what God does. He laughs. He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he, re- then he gets mad. He gets ticked, right? All right, enough of this playing around. It's body slamming time. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath. And he says, I have installed my king. I've installed my king on Zion, my holy Hill, And now, the point of view shifts. The point of view shifts to the the eyes and the voice and the perspective of that king. That king that just got installed says this, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. God said to me, this king says, God said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. God and I, these kings would say, are so tight so close, so intimate, so sharing of power that the relationship could only be described with the intimacy and the connection and the loyalty of of a father and a son. Are you with me? And I will ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. Because that's what dads do, right? They give their sons the good stuff. So ask of me, king king that I installed, king that I put in, ask me, and all those gathered against you, I will make the nations your inheritance. You'll own them. You'll own them. You'll wear the belt coming out of the ring. The ends of the earth, your possession, you will rule them with a hammer, with an iron scepter, you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, you others that stand against me, wake up, wisen up. Be warned. Don't come in here unaware. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun on your knees, dog, right? Kiss those feet, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Oh, like, oh my gosh, right? Like, how do you pray this? How does this even work? But are you getting the sense of this? Right? Right? Don't get into the ring with my guy. Because he will bust some heads. He will put you down and he will come out. Champion of that ring. Welcome to messianic hope. Welcome to what Messiah is biblically about. And the ancients had a word for this. The ancients at the time of ancient Israel, when this was written, echoing all the time up to Jesus, they had a catchword to describe this entire kind of perspective, this worldview, this, this, this whole kind of like ethos and sense. Let me give it to you. You may have heard it before, and the word is this, gospel. Gospel. What the ancients called this psalm to hope was gospel. Now, gospel is, it's an old English word, God spell. You may have seen the musical, right? Please don't. But God meaning good in old English. Spell meaning like, you know, incantation. Like, like you know, you say something. Good spell. Gospel means nothing more than good message or good news. But not just any old kind of good news, not just like, oh, that's kind of cool to hear. No, it was a very specific kind of good news. And not gospel or good news in the way I think it often is heard by Christians today. I say gospel, and we probably run to the idea Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins so I can go to heaven, right? But that isn't the connotation gospel had for them because the connotation gospel had for them was nothing short of this victory conquered win this is how it would play out the kings would go to war the kings would go to war in the constant pressures the constant tensions the constant conflict that that world brought much like today And with those wars would come risk, sacrifice, poverty, hurt, possibility that even the meager things that we hold on to can be dashed away by some cruel tyrant force in an instant. And when the kings would go to war and the kings would win, and a day before instant messaging, email, and texting, they would do this. They would get heralds, runners, literally runners, like go run. And they would run with a message of good news. They would carry the gospel throughout the land, throughout the kingdom, from town to town, to the villages, from where, where, where the young men and the soldiers had come from to go fight, going, guess what? We win. Victory, we win. They will overthrow us no more. They will bother us no more. We took our stand, we when It was a message of victory. Gospel meant victory. That we came, we saw, we conquered, we stood the line, and we came out holding the belt from that ring. And so it's interesting when you come to Jesus... And you see him raising up messengers, heralds, uh, ambassadors. Um, in Greek, they would call them apostles, sending them town to town. Spreading what? Well, according to the gospel, good news of the kingdom. And for them, Psalm 2 was gospel. Gospel encapsulated what this thing is that our king won, that he's victorious. He busted the heads. (sighs) Welcome to messianic hope. And it kind of begs the question a little bit, of how this good news is, well, good news for us today. I need to pray some too. Like, 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 okay, great, this is cool, but, but like, 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 how does this click with, with Jesus and today? I'm going to show you a video here. Uh, forgive the pixelation on it, but back in the 80s, they only shot things at 240, right? Um... But I want to contextualize this a little bit. See, in the 80s, unlike today, the threat was nuclear war, not terrorism. And back in the 80s, unlike today, the enemy was the Soviet Union, not ISIS. And for those of you who were born after 1985, the Soviet Union's Russia, okay? Um, Now, America's symbol is the eagle, right? For those of you born before 1985, do you remember what the Soviet Union's animal symbol happened to be? The bear. All of this is going to get important for understanding what this video is about. This was a campaign ad that came out in '84. Take a look. There is a bear in the woods. For some people, the bear is easy to see. Others don't see it at all. Some people say the bear is tame. Others say it's vicious and dangerous. Since no one can really be sure who's right, isn't it smart to be as strong as the bear? If there is a bear. Don't you just like watch and then go, oh, let's get those Soviets. Y- you know, what's the tenor of that whole thing? There's something scary out there. Something that is possibly big and ferocious and looking to devour. What is the response? Quiver in fear. What is the response? Make peace with the b- hope that the bear, feed the bear, and it will be okay. Stand up to the bear. Have you seen the revenant? What happens when you stand up to a bear? May I not suggest it if you encounter one in your travels this summer? And imagine you're walking in the mountains or in your backyard and you hear that there's like a breakout at the zoo or something like that, and you see a bear what would that do to you? Even if you see a little bear, what would that do to you? Right? Would you not hope that someone was there that was so strong, so powerful, so able that he could laugh at the bear? Welcome the hope of psalm 2 and you know in our own political landscape i mean in everyone's political landscape elections are built on this aren't they every four years we go through this ritual together of, of hearing how this person will be the one who can stand up against whatever the fear might be let me give you a tour here was reagan in 1984 it's morning again in America, which implies what? The scary night is past. Night is gone. It is a new era, a new day. Or how about this one? Fighting for you, which implies what? You need someone to fight for you, right? That you may not be able to fight whatever it is we're fighting on your own. Or imagine this one hope. What would it look like if like these campaign slogans were instead were something like acquiescing all the way? <laughs> Accepting despair, right? <laughs> Accept America for what it is. No one gets elected on a slogan like that, right? And we see it, there's this hope, this hope that everyone has, this hope that surfaces every election, that there are things bigger than us out there. Things bigger than us that that we can't stand against in the ring. And head to head, toe to toe, it's my head getting pile-drived into the pavement. But could there be one? One who would fight for us. One who would stand for us. One who had the power and the strength to laugh at whatever comes our way. And as Psalm 2 puts it, dash them to pieces like poverty. Now, I want you to put yourself in Israel's shoes. Because it's one thing to talk about this from a place of privilege, a place of prosperity and power. It's fascinating that we, even our country, with all its faults, and yet the most prosperous free country the world has ever seen resonate with this. How much more when you live in weakness... And depression. Put yourself in Israel's shoes. shoes of weakness and depression. I mean, what, what's Israel's defining story? We were slaves in Egypt. The world power stood against us. They took us, they enslaved us, they brutalized us. And what was their hope? We are never, never going back. To that again, I think of the time of the prophets, nations like Assyria, the world power of Isaiah's day, whose entire M.O. was one of ruling through terror and fear, by violence and brutality and shock and awe, killing who we want to kill, stealing what we want to steal, raping who we want to rape, enslaving who we want to enslave I should have brought a picture of this in, but there's this amazing inscription that you can see that that shows this. Assyria having their victory parade. Assyria after overthrowing yet one more puppet state. With the heads of the dead they defeated on carts. Skulls on poles parading it through the conquered land with the message, stand against us and this will happen to you. I think of Jesus' day. And it's Rome. Rome who ruled by this thing called the Pax Romana. The peace of Rome. A peace that was said to be held through the empire, but a peace that was held by sword and cross. It's always easy to have peace when it's their way. Isn't it? When they can take what they want. When they can do what they want. And there's no one to stand in their way. And imagine yourself in those shoes. Imagine yourself in the shoes of someone who's been crushed. Oppressed. Conquered beaten, abused, threatened, cornered, and intimidated. And imagine then how this would sound to you. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. And then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on my holy hill, and I will make the nations your inheritance. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And if you can climb into their shoes and start to resonate with things through their eyes, suddenly I think it becomes clear why something like Psalm 2 would be called gospel, would be called good news. And man, did Israel dream about this? To write about it and sing about it and pray about it and fantasize about it and think about what is it going to be like when God sends that true king. Here's how the one prophet Isaiah puts it. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This king will be different. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Not a spirit of arrogance or selfishness, but one of wisdom and understanding of counsel and power of knowledge. And he'll delight in the fear of the Lord, doing things God's way, not his own agenda. And he won't just judge by what he sees or by what he hears and be deceived, but with righteousness, he will judge. With justice, he will give decisions and he'll be strong. And he'll protect and rescue and save. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He will slay the wicked with the breath of his lips. Can you see their hope? Can you see the yearning of good news? And then Jesus comes. And the amazing reversal of Jesus is this He comes. And in many ways, it seems like he's literalizing this. Go with me. King after king after king, Messiah after Messiah after Messiah, went through Israel's history. And with each one, is this the one? Is this the great white hope? Only to see them fail in their weakness, fail in their evilness, fail in their... Poverty of soul. But Jesus comes and even the angels start to proclaim. What do they say in that pre-Christmas visit? Gabriel comes to Mary. You will be with child and will have a son. And what does he say? And he will be great. The son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of his father, David, a kingdom that will never end, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Do you hear Psalm 2 kicking around? Every other king, some metaphorical way of God's son, and he actually seems to really literally be. But the twist is this. When Jesus comes to bust some heads, To usher in death instead of bringing that death on his enemies. He comes ushering in death on himself instead. For his enemies. Unlike Psalm 2 where it seems that this Messiah will come to conquer by destroying them. Jesus comes and conquers by letting himself be destroyed for them instead, for you. Which means the good news is that even when we stand as God's enemies, this king died for you and ushered in that kind of kingdom instead. And for me, that's good news. Because when God is enthroned in heaven, scoffing and laughing, and I realize by the quality of who I am that I should be crushed, I take heart knowing that the king died for me Instead, And the good news is this, that king is reigning. It's the message of the New Testament that it's this king who's on the throne, that he's in control. That whatever it is that stands against me, that I'm too small for, that I can't handle, that is so bigger and outside of my capacity to stand up, Against or overthrow, I know I've got a king on the throne. And no matter how big my problems might be, to him he's got him in the palm of his hand. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion. My holy hill, and hear this here today, especially those of you who have been on the defeated and oppressed side of things. Blessed are you. who take refuge in him. I encourage you to pray Psalm 2 that way. And to read it that way and in it find that good news that Jesus brings. Hey guys, let's do this. Um, Would you get on your feet? Let's rise. Banda's going to come forward and um, we're going to commune today. And um, this is nothing short of the king inviting us to his table. And to me, it's fascinating that the king, through a feast, not through a victory of overthrowing in the typical way we would see, but a feast of victory through the giving of his own life. Psalm 2. This concept echoes throughout other psalms and other ways. We took one from 118 and just put it together as a prayer today. So I would just kind of like to invite you to take a few moments in your own heart, just maybe pray. Come to, uh, come to King Jesus. Give your troubles, your worries, your struggles to him and then we'll come out of it together with Psalm 118, all right? Let's pray. So God, we come, and uh, we ask you to help us remember that you are on the throne. Blessed are all who take refuge in you, because you're strong and mighty. You're the King of Kings. And whatever we face is not too big for you to handle. So even when it's hard, God, and even when we we feel like we stand before it and don't know what to do, may we remember that and derive hope from it. Thank you, God. Hear us as we pray. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. In my anguish, I cried to the Lord and he answered me by setting me free the lord is with me i will not be afraid what can man do to me the lord is with me he is my helper I will only try. Amen. the lord is my strength and my song he has become my salvation shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous The Lord's right hand is lifted high. high. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builder rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good.